And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 156. My name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dim One. I am joined here in Zoom as I have been for the past 12 horrific months, but less horrific when I get to, to nerd out with the bros. Joined by Nate LeBlanc. What's happening, man? Uh, doing good. Thanks for asking. Um, it's Hangover Monday, the day after the Super Bowl. <laughs> not, not hungover. Oh, that's right drinking or anything uh, i'm probably more tired from the hike i took before the super bowl but uh that is what today is for a lot of people and I hangover guess monday you guys are hearing this it's three days after that so it's not particularly relevant but here we are unless unless you're an alcoholic uh <laughs> also in zoom no, no connection here that was not a segue uh also in zoom we have david ma how's it going man Hey guys, really good to be here. Um, my name is David, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, no, um, yeah, really good to be here. It's kind of a kind of a dark, sort of gloomy day in the Bay, so I think it's sort of affecting our uh, energy level a little bit. But it's really great to be here with you guys, per usual. Yeah, man, um, that's so wild, Nate. I had totally blocked out that the Super Bowl happened yesterday um, because of. Um, I've disassociated with the NFL, but also like it's it. We talked about this a little bit last year is like just just not as big of a deal as it as it used to be, even generally outside of uh, people at the grocery store getting like uh, 24 packs so they could have super spreader uh, home events. There was couldn't couldn't really tell. <laughs> couldn't really tell. Um, but anyway, we are not a sports talk podcast. Thank God, because what are they doing this year? We are a rap podcast, and we are a rap podcast based in San Jose, California. You may have heard us mention it from time to time, but today we want to do something that's kind of unprecedented for our program. We are going to be focusing on a rapper, producer, uh, a rapper and a producer from our region, which is not something that we do typically. Not that we, we hate on the hometown stuff. We just always have wanted to have kind of more of a global perspective on on how we uh, assess and treat rap music. But we figured it was time. We have a couple of artists that we're gonna talk to today that we feel that beyond the fact that they're from where we're from are, are worth knowing about. Um, and so we've got interviews lined up for y'all, but I, I wanna just peel back the curtain here on Dad Bod Rap Pod and ask Nate LeBlanc, we'll start with you. Evergreen Nate, um, how how and when as a as a young San Josean did hip hop find you? Because just newsflash, people, this is not an urban area, especially in the in the nineties and eighties when I grew up. Um, hip hop was not like oozing out of out of every you know car and and you know venue. Uh, we we kind of had to find it. I mean, I'm guessing. I'll I'll hear what y'all say, but you kind of had to find it. And I'm wondering, Nate. How did uh how did you find hip hop or hip hop find you as a as a young San Jose? Yeah, um, mostly 
how I still find it, which I guess this has been replaced by the internet, but by listening to the radio and watching TV, like um, we would, we would listen to the radio and um, I, you know, I had a little, uh, you know, those uh, cassette clock radios. Um, you, you're probably picturing yes, the exact one that I had with the fake yes, wood <laughs> burnishing um, from the time that I knew what hip hop was. I was just trying to find it and put my little cassettes in that clock radio. Um, I think I, I probably heard it on the radio first. Um, and then I would start going to the warehouse and buying tapes. I have actually kind of a cute story. I don't know if I've ever told on the show and it's not exactly hip hop, but it's hip hop adjacent. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this. We don't really talk about it on the show, but I grew up next door, my house where I grew up and my parents still live was next door to where Damone's ex-wife uh, grew up and um, Damone's ex-wife and her sister live next door to me. They are African-American and um, that provided an interesting cultural experience for me. And their cousin, Jimmy, was one of my best friends and he was from Chicago. Um, yep. So he knew about some stuff that I didn't know when he first moved here. We, we started to become friends. And I have this very strong memory of me and my sister cleaning my mom's car. It was a Toyota Corona hatchback in the garage. And Crystal and Bethany came over and were chatting with us. And they had Albie Shore's new album. And I hadn't okay. heard it yet. And so they, they had to go do something. And so they let us borrow the Albie Shore cassette. And we, we threw it in the, my mom's car's tape deck while we cleaned the car. And we like we got to rock this new album that we hadn't heard yet. And then a couple hours later, they came back and we like, you know, un, un, unborrowed the cassette. I don't know exactly how old I was. I want to say like maybe like seven or eight. But I use that as an illustration. One, that like the families go way back. And two, yeah. that yeah. like I've always had this curiosity about music. I'm a very shy kid. Like I, I like didn't talk to anyone I was very internal but when I was like okay what's that cassette I've never seen it before who's this guy with the fade I was like <laughs> can I borrow that you know what I mean so like, yeah I think yeah kind of a a part of my life where I have this intense curiosity about music I've always been drawn to hip-hop and I would say like once like the radio and all that stuff kind of set me on that course the thing that really kicked it off was house party and kid and play from that time okay from watching okay. house party mm. i was like obsessed the dancing the music um the dj aspect of it like i i was probably a little young to be watching that but i i always loved that movie i still love that movie during quarantine i watched that movie like on a friday night and i basically had tears in my eyes the whole time because of how <laughs> how great it is how much i love it and just like how much like it just like taught me about what i thought life would be like as a teenager when i was a younger kid so that's kind of a preview all so right i'm sorry dave you as a as a youngster mean streets of santa clara how did uh <laughs> how did uh, hip-hop find you um obviously you know, deep in ciphers during park jams, you know. Um, no, just kidding. I grew up in Santa Clara, a fucking suburb of the suburbs. Um, for me, it was sort of a two-pronged thing. One, um, that it, which isn't unlike Nate's experience, um, radio, radio and TV. Uh, TV being CMC Music Factory. Um, definitely grew up with that on, on, on uh, Channel 26. 26? Yeah, we didn't have cable when we were younger, so we lived in these apartments and um, yeah, so 
TNC Music Factory, after school, you would get to see like the music videos to these songs that you would hear on the radio. So on the radio, you know, we would listen to 106 KML and uh, we're dating, um, sort of dating ourselves a bit here, but 97.7, Hot 97.7. So um, th that, that's one prong of sort of how I got into hip hop. The other was um, not unlike sort of my adolescence, it's just older cats you kick it with. So in those, in those apartments, I remember in 1989, um, my buddy gave me uh, NWA straight out of Compton. And that was like sort of the first, first like real thing where I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> like what the fuck? And, and like to this day, I can probably like rap the whole album word for word. So yeah, um, those are probably both my main introductions. Uh, what about you, Damon? Uh, as as Nate and Dave are, are always quick to point out in these conversations, I'm a little bit older. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think it's, it's a combination of those things. I think hip hop reached me um, through the regular kind of pop culture channels, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm born in 76, the mid eighties to see somebody doing something breakdance related or to hear a beat was something. You recognize that to be something different and apart and young and hip and cool. Um, so you got snatches of it here and there. I mean, really in the mid eighties, there weren't a lot of um, rap songs being played on like radio stations, mm -hmm. but I had an older homie to your point, Dave, um, shout out John Hilton uh, and his brother, Tim, who lived down the street, who kind of fancied themselves as like mobile DJs. And so while they didn't have a bunch of like, you know, hardcore hip hop, as we would say, um, a lot of like the electro, like jam on it. Um, Planet Rock, of course, was huge here in San Jose at that time and throughout the 80s and 90s. Uh, freestyle high energy music was huge. So mm. those were kind of some of the original touch points. And then for me, what really kind of kicked it into overdrive was uh, Cable came to my neighborhood uh, summer of 89. And then I was able to watch UMTV raps. And that was like, mm. I kind of had an, an encyclopedic uh, catalog I was on VHS was taping videos and rewatching them. And that, that was kind of for me, um, the real thing that brought me into the culture. Uh, in part because it was like, you know, cats like Karis One, Public Enemy, you know, these were black dudes that were talking about things uh, in a way and subject matter that I had never really uh, known about. And so in many ways it was like, I learned about the music and I also got um, radicalized from a political standpoint back at that time. So I really, um, you know, who knows, we're not for cable, who knows uh, where, where I'd be today. Um, but we were not the only ones, it turns out. And I grew up thinking like I was like some weird oh. person on the island, like to know somebody that was into the same hip hop that you were into um, was definitely not common um, back in those days. But as it turns out, as it turns out everywhere, because rap is like universal and viral, um, there were a bunch of cats uh, honing their craft, going even back into the 80s. Um, and, you know, we, we have a couple rappers from this region, you know what I mean, that, that have been, uh, been at it for a while, have been doing their thing and have made some interesting music. Um, we'll start by uh, teeing up our first interview guest, um, uh, MC Jihad from the group Third Sight, which um, Nate and Dave have written kind of the definitive uh, history of Third Sight. Is that is that still on Notorious, if folks want to check it out? 
it's on Notorious.com, but it's uh, also on Passion of the Weiss. That's and, right. Um, Nate and I did it along with our great friend, JB. So uh, shout out to JB. Absolutely. So I, I definitely, you know, listen to this, obviously, but um, I would also uh, direct people to go back and, and check this out because I think it's it's great and not many groups from our region get that kind of a, of a, a loving dissection of their work. Um, Nate, can you, for folks who don't know, which may be a lot of our listeners right now, can you kind of set up uh, what what was Third Sight and, and why did you guys feel like you needed to, to put together like a definitive history of, of the group? Yeah, um, I'm just a huge Third Sight fan. Like um, I, I have, I'm, I don't always love all of our local hip hop, but this is local hip hop that like really grabbed me from the first time I heard it. So Third Sight is primarily Jihad the Roughneck, who you're going to hear from in a minute, who is a very boisterous, technical MC who has, um, I think as we put it in the oral history, a uh, scatological bent to his raps at times. A, uh, <laughs> they're just, sometimes his rhymes are just straight up filthy. And I think that's something going back to what Dave was saying earlier that like still speaks to the, like the little kid in me. Like I, you know, they always say like our parents' generation or their parents' generation had to take like the Red Fox or the George Carlin records into the basement and like listen to them when their parents weren't around. Like, mm -hmm. I think we had that with, I certainly did with like NWA, Ice-T mm -hmm. records, um, things mm -hmm. like that. So sometimes when Jihad gets off like a really crazy, like bodily fluid reference, <laughs> I still have that little, like, ooh, this is a little wrong uh, kind of thing to it. But mainly he, he's just an incredible rhymer uh, with this like really great like declarative clear voice and the beats are provided by dj dofunk his longtime partner and d styles of being the best dj in the world fame um so there's always a heavy scratching element to their music their beats are incredibly minimal for people who haven't listened to a lot of third sight but who have scratched or had a friend that scratched think of the beats that are on break records like they just leave mm -hmm. a ton of room there's always a heavy kind of, it's, it's the thud and then the rumble, right? That's where the, mm -hmm. the break record company gets its name. That's, that's kind of the, the palette um, for, the, for the production, though there are um, melodic elements to it. And then Jihad just goes off. Um, he's got political stuff. He's got battle stuff. He's got funny rhymes. Mm -hmm. he, he has some great story rhymes that I think are actually quite underrated. He's a, mm -hmm. he's a crystal clear storyteller. Um, the, the stories actually have moved forward in time the way, the way a script would. Um, mm -hmm. So we just think everyone should listen to more Third Side, and we wanted to give it the oral history treatment, not just to celebrate their music, um, but because we love oral histories. Like those um, mm -hmm. Andrew Miller, I think is his name is, um, Oral Histories of SNL and ESPN were big at that time. And we were like, this is a great way to convey information. So we put mm -hmm. a lot of work into that article, but it's not about us. It's all about Jihad, Dufunk, and Dave D. Styles, who um, I think have created some truly underground music that really should be listened to more widely. Absolutely. Um... Dave, you you've obviously you've you've written about Third Sight for the un the uninitiated. What what is a a song or a record you would point fo folks to if they wanted to to understand what the the vibe was about? Well, um, sort of to Nate's point. I mean, if you want just harsh, dark, 
like grimy ass shit, but with with with, with touches of humor, um, I would I would definitely go with that. And for me, I always like the the golden shower hour. I also really liked um, Simbini's um, the Simbini's album. But the yeah. the only, uh, sort of the surprise to me later was the Corpses and Orchids album, which was like a bunch of B sides that they released on Wax, I think, a few years ago. So mm-hmm. I, I I would just I I would just you know as an entry point for people who haven't heard that much third sight um those are those are great six songs to check to to you know check in on and those are um not unlike sort of how their music unfolded which is to say it kind of stayed the same uh, in the best way so um Mm -hmm. yeah i i i would check out fucking all their albums i mean their fourth album which is the one with the red cover and um they're all just sort of standing on a bunch of corpses i forgot what it's called uh, uh standing on corpses in a b-boy stance <laughs> in a b-boy stance yeah no, they're literally standing on corpses in a b-boy stance um that is a later era one that i think also encapsulates all the stuff because all all the greatness of the earlier stuff maybe just slightly better sound quality but um, you know the the love of the griminess. I don't think gets gets lost because uh, they they just keep it grimy as fuck, dude. Like they like they don't care, and and it's it's sort of this like ethos that I think um, resonates still. You know what I mean? Like they're Absolutely. just gonna do their shit and not care. What about you, Damon? Yeah, I uh, I think back to when I first got hit to Third Sight was through the song uh, "Rhymes Like a Scientist," which is. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe came out a couple years before Golden Shower Hour, but is is also on that album because it was getting a lot of burn on uh, college radio. Um, and I forget, I think somewhere in there he mentions being from the 408. And I remember that we were like, yo, who is this guy with the powerful <laughs> voice? I mean, like powerful, like kind of in the, almost in the Chuck D uh, yeah, yeah. realm in terms of like booming uh, voice, but also you know, he's deft, uh, Jihad is very deft with his rhymes and um, rhymes like a scientist in particular combines all of the elements, which I think makes Third Sight great, uh, which the beat is banging, D-Styles is scratching his ass off um, and, and Jihad is bringing you, you know, kind of cypher quality, you know, hardcore bars and such. And so um, for me, I always go back to that and like how it felt to you know, again, kind of grounding the San Jose experience to hear somebody who was from your part of the world that was kind of killing shit. And mm-hmm. also not necessarily in a way that was uh, uh, kind of copycattery. There there were some groups that like, um, and this is no knock, that, you know, definitely nursed themselves on the New York sound and maybe tried to recreate it. But when I listen to Third Sight, I listen to something that sounds definitively West Coast, part in part because of the turntablism tie-in. Um, and and I think there was a lane for Jihad just to, he could have like mimicked um, a lot of East Coast MCs, especially because of the register of his voice, but he, he doesn't. It's still something that is very much West Coast in the tradition of, of Freestyle Fellowship and Hyro and and all of that. Like he, I know he's a, a product of that era too. So. Um, I just remember feeling, you know, a lot of pride about it. And also, you know, D Styles is a friend and mentor. So it was like, oh, he's, he's doing this. Um, so, you know, they, they came along, I think Third Sight came along as maybe the second wave of, of South Bay hip hop, which, you know, the first is definitely anchored uh, by uh, Charisma and Peanut Butter Wolf 
um, the records that they were able to put out earlier, one of the first groups to actually get a major label deal. Uh, obviously, um, again, if you if you want to go down this rabbit hole, there's homeless derelicts, there's derelicts. Uh, if you really want to go deep and make Nate smile, um, look up Tin Base T and or MC Twist. These were like the proto waves of MCs, but all of that I've said happened in like an eight year span. So uh, just as hip hop developed rapidly, so did the South Bay scene. And I think by the time we get to Third Sight, now you're seeing groups and, and we also have an interview with the architect who uh, produced a, a lot of, of South Bay based groups. Some of the artists he was working with started coming up that, at, at that time. And they were, you know, they were good as anybody. There was a time when that wasn't necessarily true when it was only like one or two cats from out here who could really do it. But by 93, 94, we had like um, real talent. And I think uh, Third Sight, perhaps, you know, one of the, the best groups um, from that era and still doing it as Jihad will uh, mm-hmm. talk about in his, in his uh, interview here, he had a, I think Third Sight had like four official albums and then a couple of B-side releases. And then uh, Jihad has had his own um, solo career that has had some really cool, interesting records. And he's got a couple more um, coming up in, in this year. So uh, why don't we get into it? This is our interview with Jihad the Roughneck from Third Sight, Dead Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, another week, another dope interview for you guys. Right now, joining us in Zoom, we have an MC from my part of the world who uh, I've just thought was super dope forever and have had the pleasure of knowing for a while and happy to bring him on the program. Refnet Jihad, what's going on, man? Yo, happy to be here. Yeah, man. Ridiculous. Uh, like continue the intro but i just have to say like jihad is one of my very favorite rappers of all time and i love his music and dave and i and our buddy jeff did a long oral history of his career that we will post when this comes out but it's like long overdue to have him on the definitive history yes definitive that's right um it currently is um it currently lives at passion of the weiss but it's uh immortal just like (laughs) just like your catalog man so thank you it's great to be here with you Absolutely. Let's uh, let's ground, folks. Uh, Jihad, you you're from the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, you're part of a of a rap supergroup, really, um, called Third Sight. You want to talk to us a little bit about Third Sight, what that what that was, and kind of uh, the great stuff that came out of that era. Yeah, sure. Um, so Third Sight was my actually my second rap group, uh, okay. which you guys probably know, but. Uh, my first one, when I was in junior high school, we had like a little demo tape. We pressed about 12 of them, got them out to the people and <laughs> hopefully those 12 people don't out me for what songs were on there. But, uh, <laughs> but um, after that, that, that group dissolved. I was looking for some other people to be down with. Uh, I initially met DJ Dufunk and then together uh, with me and the MC that uh, the original, one of the original additional MCs I was in, uh, Third Sight, Smooth Tone. 
he introduced us to D Styles because he was working with D Styles. Um, and when like Dufunk is a dope, we you know that's my boy. I love him, but D was just doing some scratch stuff that was like blew my mind. And I was a scratch junkie even early in the game, like um, and it was ridiculous. And then real soon after that, he started making beats, and we dropped Rhymes Like a Scientist, mm. and that was our first uh, single in in like '94. And uh, peace to Dufunk's family for financing that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then. We kept working together over, over the years between 94 and 98. And in 98, we dropped the, our first album, The Golden Shower Hour. And it always took us a long time in between albums. But ultimately, we dropped four third side albums in between the time when, you know, D Styles was having his major scratch career. So he'd come in and out. But, you know, we were always still down together. Dope, man. You know, um, I was just looking on your band camp and we'll get to the to the uh, most recent project soon, but um, uh, on your bio, it says that you started rapping in 1988. And I think you, you know, you briefly touched on the um, middle school group, but can you just let us know? I mean, you just sort of being the MC that you are, when did you first decide, or just when were you first struck by rap and decided to want to do it? So some of my first introduction, like a, my first introduction to like a full rap song was Rapper's Delight. Before that, I'd heard like, you know, Stevie Wonder do his Stevie Wonder rap on like Hotter Than July, <laughs> rap for like four or five bars real fast. And then said, yeah, you know, I can't rap, but. <laughs> so I was like, what is this? This is cool. I don't know what's going on, but this is fun. Right. Uh, and I, I originally started out as a biter. I was a Koji <laughs> rap biter. Uh, I went around my, my junior high school saying, because uh, I'm fly to everybody. And they thought I was a great MC. And, you know, I was making friends and I was popular and I was like, whoa. I can only keep saying Cool G rap rhymes for so long. You get to talk like sex and you're going to get sent to the principal's <laughs> office. <laughs> He's going to discover me. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to try. And uh, I had like an old rhyming dictionary. It had the dictionary in the front and then the dictionary of rhymes in the back. So uh, it was just trial and error for a long time. I have like some old school rhymes where I'd use every word from the rhyming dictionary. <laughs> it would be like... 100 bars, like a 20-minute song. I finally found out that wasn't the structure that was <laughs> people were looking for. But, um, yeah, it's just like, you know, I, I ended up loving to rap. It was, like, one of the few things that I, you know, had, like, a affinity for. Um, people were always telling me to do stuff with my voice even back then, like, whether it was uh, rapping or just being, like, some kind of announcer or whatever. Um, so. Especially on Golden Shower Hour, a lot of the early Third Sight songs have interesting structure where you and D both like kind of take up as not equal parts of the song necessarily, but like there's just as much scratching as there is lyrics or the songs are structured oddly. Can you talk a little bit about that? And like, it just like you, we know, yeah. You, you know, we know, but like for people who don't know. <laughs> uh, one of the interesting like things about, about D Styles is D Styles, he can rap and he always wanted to rap, hmm. but he was better at scratching. So he would try to rap with his scratches. So uh, if, you, if you go past the phrases and you just listen to like the patterns that he's putting down, those are rap patterns. Uh, and in, in the, the first verse, the, you know, there's a, we consider the first part of Rhymes Like a Scientist to actually be a scratch verse. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. he went mm -hmm. for 20 bars, like just doing phrases, like if he would rhyme. And sometimes you'll, you'll catch him in a freestyle 
and he'll bust a freestyle. But his sense of musicality has to do with him seeing those sounds as verses, which is why his album was so strong. Mm. Because that's that was dope. just like, if you know D, that's him rapping. That's so dope. Man, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about, about your rapping. You, uh, you mentioned having a voice and people telling you you should do things with your voice. Um, but even though you have a voice, you still really uh, have a, a dense kind of lyrical style. Like, was that a deliberate choice? Because you could have done kind of a, you know, rappers ride off of their voices all the time. Yeah. Uh, and what, what kind of spurred you on to still want to be, um, have a high level chop and be very technical? Um, just the people I admired, essentially. Um, admiring uh, Big Daddy Kane, uh, Rakim, Cool G Rap. Um, and even just coming out of that rhyming dictionary, I was writing stuff that was super dense, like, you know, like, like Aesop rock dense, but it didn't make sense, you know? And when I finally got with my first rhyming partner, uh, Smooth Tone, who was from uh, Rockaway Queens, he had like a Rockaway style and it was very similar to like a Run DMC style. It was very symmet symmetrical, but it wasn't crowded in any way. And you could easily hear what he was saying. And he was like, you're dope, man. But, you know, dial it back a little bit so people can understand where you're coming from. So even though it sounds like pretty dense, that's me. <laughs> that's me pulling back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I love hearing you sort of dissect everything and talk about the symmetry of the verse and um, how things are crowded and not crowded. Can you let us know sort of, you know, what your writing process is like? Um, how do you, you sit down and write the rhymes? Do you pull from ideas? Like, what, what, take us through that. Yeah, so early on when I had no beats, of course, I was just like writing or I'd write to stuff off the radio, try to pause, mix a beat. You know, you, you just, you know, it's you work with what you had. You know, we didn't have a lot. And uh, back then when I started getting beats from people, my process changed because I would just sit and write. But then I would listen to the beat first and try to write to it. Like even a few times, I would try to just take a rhyme that I wrote to nothing and transplant that onto the beat. Mm. But that can, you know, I'm, sometimes there's, there, that doesn't work. Um, you can try to force it or whatever, but that just didn't work. So it was a lot of trial and error to try to find out, you know, what I was most comfortable with over time. But uh, generally now somebody will give me a beat. Um, I'll, I get up in the morning, especially during COVID, I'll just walk the dogs and uh, I'll have the beat on repeat for a couple blocks. And then sometimes I'll get home and turn the beat off, but I'll still have like the rhythm and tempo in my brain and just see what I come with. Mm -hmm. uh, and then even um, I heard from an interview that Freestyle Fellowship was doing um, that sometimes when they recorded stuff, they did it in one take. Yeah. And they would keep it no matter what. And it took me a long time to, you know, because I'm thinking I'm going to the studio. I want to get it perfect. I want to get it right. I couldn't, I, I wouldn't even be able to live with that take where I screwed up. But now I'm learning to like, you know, just let go as an artist. Sometimes you get that take. Sometimes. Mm. But sometimes it takes like a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts and like help kind of like get people excited again about um, SLA, which I see behind you. You guys can't see this, but from where <laughs> Jihad is sitting, he has like some of his best work uh, framed up the, the records behind him. And I'm talking about Symbionese Liberation album, which is like, I wouldn't call it a concept record, but it certainly touches on things that came out of the kind of Patty Hearst um, yeah. thing. So can you, can you just like talk to us about that record? I love this record so much. Sure, no problem. Um, 
that was our, our second record. It uh, actually was reworked by D because a lot of the songs that are on my first solo, E Pluribus, were actually done before the SLA stuff. Oh. Um, so we would have had a lot more uh, Beats by Raggedy Andy uh, from my man from Palo Alto on that album. But uh, when we came with those songs, uh, D wasn't really, he wasn't super enthusiastic about it. So he's like, we need to work this and go in a different direction. Uh, most of the art design and stuff is, uh, uh, at least the ideas for the art design came from me. At that time, I had read a lot about the SLA and I just like was fascinated about the whole thing. Um, and, you know, the, the graphics worked well. Um, but it was, I feel like we really started hitting our stride. Like we did, every, like Golden Shower Hour is dope, but like we almost did that on accident. <laughs> so um, we really started to figure out, you know, what we were doing, what we would like to be doing. And uh, like Dee did some experimental scratch stuff, like on Tonto. Um, and yeah, I mean, um, love that album. It's really special to me. Um, I just think it's an underground rap record and it's kind of like a Bay Area underground rap record sounding thing. But so many of those records are so thin and SLA knocks, dude. Like Tonto. <laughs> knocks like people need to like listen to it in their car and like turn it yeah. up it's like it's crazy how minimal the production is how maximal you are and how well it all fits together like i, I don't know i just i want everyone to like and, listen to and this that's record. like all respect to d styles because he's like yep. he gets a lot of respect for his for his cuts but he doesn't always get the same respect for his production yeah um, his production i mean i love it and it's almost like with him and dufunk being my in-house producers for so long like they know me so well so they'll they're they're like a point guard who gives you the best assist <laughs> okay. like this is just for a layup <laughs> okay right right i mean uh you talked a little bit about this but maybe if you could go a little bit more in depth on um the the influence of turntablism and scratching um in your music even like post third site like you yeah. You are, a, a, you know, obviously a, a fan of that culture and kind of uh, coming out of the Bay at a particular time when you did. Um, even prior to these styles, like what, what got you into that sound and that vibe and wanting to bring it into your music? Um, a lot of, uh, you know, Ice T's DJ, Chris Glove Taylor, he was doing some, some dope stuff back in the 80s. Um, I just always thought scratching was fascinating, but also the uh, New York, but the whole Miami, you know, when Miami was doing Miami bass, and like Magic Mike and everybody was doing those quick cuts. I was just like, whoa, like I don't even like Miami bass music. <laughs> but I was like, this is undeniable, you know, and um, just my, uh, you know, I came up, you know, as a kid, like during the Run DMC era. So uh, most of my ideas about what a group should look like are, are come from Run DMC, you know? So I was like, the DJ was such an integral part that I was like, you can't even have a hip hop group without a DJ. And now you don't hear as many scratch hooks and stuff like on stuff, but uh, it's always been like super important to me because I'm a, I'm just a scratch music fan mm. at the end of the day. So I love when a, um, a dope DJ will like help me out. Uh, and yeah, so I work, we work, I worked with D on all the, uh, all the third site stuff on the last one, uh, third site for uh, private peep show and Waxsmith added some, some cuts. Uh, on their songs and then since then I've worked with uh, DJ Zuckel out of uh, the UK and 
Waxmith does a lot of cuts for me still from Santa Cruz 408. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I just love it. So if anybody ever like wants to, you know, work on some stuff, I'm always down. Oh, and my DJ Cymatic, also from the UK. UK has some scratch heads nowadays and uh, they love boom bap because, you know, some people are just into scratch pure, you know, purely and they, they don't even want to deal with a hip hop record in any way. But I've, you know, found some cool heads that are, we have like a similar vision mm. and uh, they'll be like, oh, is this scratch too complicated or whatever? And I'm like, man, do your thing. Because uh, <laughs> when, I, when I work with an artist, if I trust you enough to work with you, I trust you enough to do your thing. I've already heard you. I know oh, yeah. what you do. That's why I'm asking you to do it. So please do your, do you, you know what I mean? Don't, don't change, you know, don't go change and trying to please me. <laughs> well, you know, um, speaking of uh, you and doing you, I mean, we, we, we could go on and on about Third Sight. I mean, we're such fans of um, the four albums and even um, uh, Orchids and Corpses. Oh, um, yeah. I love. Um, but you know what? Uh, for the uninitiated, you have a plethora of solo stuff. And, yeah. you know, just, just, for, just for cats who have not heard of Third Sight, who are just new to Roughneck Jihad, what, what is your solo album that they should... Uh, check out first you know um i've been you know just talking to people I've, I've seen that i've got a lot of love more than i've actually known for for disco sinistro mm, okay. um i guess if you just asked me off the top i'd say the wretched of the verse okay but um you know they're like they're like pets you know like can't say which dog i love the best but uh, I, um yeah man i guess um what's different about the approach or how do you differentiate like which do you are you always collecting verses for different projects or like how do you how do you decide where it goes is it kind of like what ba what beat it's based on or how do you how do you apportion the verses out for the solo projects and the group projects usually usually just as they come i mean you know if i've, if I've been sitting on a, a producer's beach for quite some time I feel obligated to, you know, get something back to them. I, you know, it's just like rude to sit on somebody's beats for years and, uh, you know, then they might give them to somebody else and it's going to be bad blood and a misunderstanding. So, um, but I, I generally write by feel, like I might have uh, beats from a few people at one time, but whichever one speaks to me the most, I go to that one because it's like the least path of resistance. Like I'm already feeling something. Mm -hmm. And then I usually use the ones because uh, sometimes like, just in my career, I have, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll front on a beat. I fronted on a couple of beats, but I still recorded it. And then people ended up liking it. So I'm like, oh, I'm not the best beat picker. I don't want to fall into Nasville. So, <laughs> so I need help. You know, sometimes people got to tell me, this is a good one for you. Why don't you go ahead and give it a try? That's, that's dope. I, I love the, uh, the willingness to bring in other voices and, and not end up in, uh, in, in Nasville. Um, <laughs> not to be confused with Nashville. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about, you've got a, a couple new releases uh, that have come out recently. I want to give you a lane to talk about these. Uh, there was late last year, General Jihad and Prime Minister Peanuts. Yes. And just this year, uh, I can't even. Namoratunga. Namoratunga. Yeah, turning to see Turkana here on the dead <laughs> pod, <laughs> rap pod today. That's what you come for. 
Uh, I'm not even a dad, but I have the body. I can't. Do anything it's either or. You can qualify either way. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm qualified. Uh, so uh, when I put out uh, the FMC album with DJ Ruthless back in 2008, we, uh, I, we were doing some work out in, in San Diego, and uh, DJ Peanuts was one of the people that had us come on her radio show. And it was like a midnight show. And we went to the studio and there's just this girl there by herself. And like, and you know, our, our FMC album is pretty raunchy. I'm like, you're pretty brave to have <laughs> these dirty guys come to your studio in the middle of the night. But I was impressed that, you know, she was like really personable and cool. She wasn't worried about it. She wasn't tripping off what we were doing on there. Um, and, you know, she's just a good friend. So she's always supported. And when she's been producing for a while, a lot of breakbeat stuff and breakdance stuff. And I was like, hey, uh, give me some beats. Let's let's do this. And I was just thinking that she would let me use some of the beats off one of her previous instrumental releases, but she was insistent that she made me ten new ones. Wow. So she made me the ten new ones. Uh, I asked in in December of nineteen. Uh, she get she had the beats all ten of them by January, and then I wrote them all in quarantine, and then we mixed, mastered, got the scratches, and finished the album by uh, December twenty twenty. Um, and you know, big up to peanuts, definitely support your lady producers out there because they're dope. Dope, man. Dope. You know, this is, this is sort of just a general question because, um, you know, obviously, um, you're, you've been a longtime fan and participant of hip hop, but you know, what, what excites you these days? Like, what, what are you checking for? I mean, we mentioned Nas's, um, uh, beat picking, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, like, what, what, uh, who are you checking for these days? Yeah, I mean, no disrespect to Nas, still, sure. still, still, still pure gold, pure hip-hop gold. Uh, I heard that uh, Breezy Bruin from the Juggernauts is supposed to be putting out something in a month or so. Oh, wow. So I'm, I'm super excited for that. Um, I was excited, like, a, I don't know, like a year or two ago when there was the rumors that there was going to be a, a, a Scaramanga... Um, Sherminalik, uh, what's that, that dude who raps with Keith on uh, Cenobites? Uh, Godfather, Godfather Don. Oh, Godfather Don. Yeah, they, I guess they just couldn't find the financing because, you know, they both needed a paycheck and they couldn't mm. find an independent to do it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm patiently waiting for Kendrick to do something new. Yeah. I'm sure that'll be decent. Um, I'm always watching J. Cole. I usually like a couple songs off of his album. I'm not, like, super into him, but I usually – Nails a couple. He has some lyrical skill. Um, but, I'll, you know, I'm open, but I don't really have, like, a, too much stuff on deck mm. that I'm waiting for as okay. far as music. I mean, maybe I'll discover something new. Uh, really sad, the passing of Doom. I was hoping that he would come out of retirement at some point. I mean, I was just waiting and waiting for that. Right. Can you uh, kind of just let us know, like, what, uh, just off top, your reaction and feeling to, to uh, the Doom news? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was... It was horrible. I, was, I mean, I felt bad when he was deported. And then I knew his, when his son died, I thought, and then we didn't hear from him. So I was like, maybe he just lost inspiration because that's something terrible, you know, to lose your child. Um, so yeah, it was super sad in that way. And also from an artistic point of view, the best producing MC ever, um, you know, with his production catalog with the special herbs and his rap catalog, he's, you know, you can't touch him. You know, maybe Rizzo will come in second, but um, 
And he was like the one, he was like that guy in the underground that like made like almost like the most money with that adult swim stuff, like doing like 80,000 of uh, that adult swim. I was like, man, like <laughs> maybe that maybe we're making a comeback, you know, there's going to be some room for us and checks and stuff from the underground. Uh, not so much, but uh, you know, he was like our, our shining, you know, our, our shining star with the stuff he was doing. You know, he was always like those R&B samples, like those R&B songs that he sampled on Doomsday are just songs that you enjoy with your family. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not even the go-to James Brown. I didn't even expect him to, you know, sample Find 100 Ways or something. And those were just songs on KBLX that were jams. <laughs> <laughs> but he, like, you know, took those and made it into some crazy hip-hop. So, man, just an, it's a, 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 like, incredible loss, like a Kobe loss. Yeah. Well said. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, do we have anything to look forward from you? I know you just finished a couple things. Like uh, we don't want to like put pressure on you, no, but it's no, just no, a no, classic no. podcast interview ending question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I just dropped the Moratunga, but I have uh, two. Al- Jerry's mixing two albums for me right now as we speak. I just okay. uh, I just compensated him for that. Um, I have an EP with Sins Beats. Uh, he's he's worked with oh, Masters and yeah. Mega, um, yep. and uh, he made a whole uh, EP for me on the Koala Sampler. Oh, cool! Seen that thing? Yeah, mm-hmm. on the phone. Um, and it became out really dope. So that'll be out in February. Uh, the two albums that Jerry's working on. One is a it's me, Dufunk, and Flash called the Dark Triad because uh, we're the Dark Brothers. And the other one is called uh, the Aslan Al-Kabulan Affair. And that's me and Frank John James. Uh, he's featured on my new album. And he's also one of my crew members from Echoes of Oratory, my, my local crew out here. Uh, he produced the whole thing. He really pushed me during quarantine uh, to get my own recording set up at the house mm-hmm. and to go ahead and just do a whole album in my downtime. Because my job's been shut since uh, last March. Oh, so. wow. It's just me uh, staring my wife in the face a lot, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then going into the room saying some rhymes, trying not to get on her nerves. Uh, right yeah, on, man! Uh, You're just crazy productive. It's so great to see. Can't can't yeah. wait to listen to the new stuff. It's good, but plus, you know, the gyms are closed. I got like 15 extra quarantine pounds on here. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Eating that good food, not going nowhere. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> that's that's why you have to wrap your ass off. That's why. That's all. That's all, you can. <laughs> that's all we have left. New 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 gym, new workout program. <laughs> wrap your ass off. <laughs> right. Uh, Jihad, we really appreciate you coming on the program, man. Long overdue. Uh, check out we we encourage everybody to check out your new projects on Bandcamp and man, just thanks for coming on brother thanks for having me man and I'm glad you guys are still going strong my podcast fell by the wayside <laughs> 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 you guys are doing great things and, and respect because you're my homeboys and you know much love yeah, Yo, thanks man. thank you man appreciate thank you, you. Appreciate you. be well brother alright take care take care be safe you too
dad bod rap pod. That was our conversation with Jihad. Um, who's, who's a friend. I didn't mention that. Another one, uh, definitely the homie appreciate him coming on and talking with us. Um, and you know, we have a lot of friends, people we haven't talked to in a long time, given the pandemic. And we here at dead by rap pod are doing a new ad, uh, with a new app that allows you to talk to people, um, which is in many ways a lost art. So this app is called Stereo. Uh, you can get it at the Apple or Android store. And basically the way it works is you download it, you create a fly ass avatar. Um, Dave hit him up for settings on how to do the lightest mustache possible, <laughs> like the lightest mustache setting. Dave figured that out. So you create a little avatar of yourself and you can tap in and listen to conversations with other content creators from around the world, talking about a variety of subjects, religion, music, sports, et cetera. Or you could host your own uh, live kind of chat room and folks can listen into your conversation. They can also send audio messages. So it's, it's really an interesting app. But what we're doing for the next nine weeks, we are doing a promotion with Stereo where we will be hosting an exclusive uh, dad bod pregame show. You'll be able to hear a little bit about our Monday night taping sessions, how they went, um, and just get a, you know get a little bit more in depth with us. We'll be talking about all things hip hop and dad bod related, of course. So that is going down Mondays at seven thirty Pacific Standard Time. If you want to uh, download the app and tap in once again, that's the stereo app and, you know, look for dad bod rap pod and you will find some fly avatars of us on stereo. Um, with that being said, the conversation continues here on dad bod rap pod. This episode is a twofer in terms of interviews. Uh, we have another interview lined up for y'all with the architect who is uh, from Melpitas, just outside of San Jose, uh, but has worked with folks at some of the highest levels of the, the music industry and also um, is continuing to work uh, and put out projects with, with some of the, the best rappers from our own backyard. So he, uh, he was gracious enough to join us. Um, you know, wanna, wanna give a little apology. The audio is not the best on this interview, but we hope uh, that you can salvage some, some good insights from producer the architect here on Dead Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod, another episode, another dope interview for y'all. Joining us in Zoom, we have a producer who's worked with everybody underground, mainstream, and in between. Uh, we welcome to the program, Architect. How's it going, man? Peace, peace. How y'all doing, man? Man, we're, we're, we're living it, surviving. Um, it's great to have you on the show because... You're actually, I think, from uh, our part of the world, correct? Are, are you from the South yeah. Bay? Yeah, I'm from Elpitas, Elpitas, California. 
You know, we want to uh, jump into your history a little bit. Um, us being from San Jose, of course, um, there's a lot of understated history here. Can you sort of let the people know about homeless derelicts and what that era was like and your involvement in that history? Definitely, definitely. It kind of got out around San Jose and Mopitas, you know, the South Bay in general, that I had a sampling. And um, I was in a mall and I ran into, I can't, I ran into Grand's brother, 50 Grand's brother. Mm. And he was like, yo, you got to see my brother rap, man. My brother's ill, whoop, whoop. So then he took me over to Grand's house and Grand was rapping. And I was like, yo, this is ill, man. And the rest was history. Because, you know, I had a certain style of music anyways. So, you know what I mean? It, it was like, you know, it was real underground for the time. Well, it wasn't uh, a lot of Dre style. You know what I mean? So, Grand fit right, what I was right. doing perfectly. You know what I mean? And and um, after I linked up with Grand, I knew Charisma because, I, you know, he's from Elpidas. So... Charisma linked us up with uh, this guy, Matt Brown. So we were all in the same management at one point. Charisma, Peanut Butter Wolf, and Homeless Derelicts. Okay. Okay. Word, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. The beat for Cash Money, which is such like an underground classic from that time, is that just like really symbolizes the sound of that era like i guess what i want to ask you is did, did you guys consider what you were doing at the time to be underground or was it like in search of a deal or like what what did you think like the ceiling was going to be for homeless derelicts at the time well at the time it's kind of crazy because like it wasn't a, i mean it was an underground but you know i didn't look at things in that way because you know it was still about how oh, we're going to get a record deal and you know what I mean? And, 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 you know, the biggest artist then, you know, you know, we coming out of 89 and, you know, at that point, it's probably like 90, 91 when we're doing those recordings. And, you know, Big Daddy Kane, I mean, you know what I'm saying? All the classic, you know, Tricar Quest, NWA. I mean, everything seemed to be on a big major label to me. You know what I mean? So I looked at it like we were just making music, you know, obviously to compete with what was popping at that moment. You know what I mean? But, it, you know, in the same note, it wasn't like anything was contrived, like we're trying to do something. It was just like, this is what we do. But it, it just so happened that style of music was really what was popping in the early 90s, if you ask me. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we, we've asked a couple people this. If you have some, great. If not, no big deal. But do you have any stories of like getting taken out to dinner by labels or like any like near, near kind of um, meetings that got called or anything you remember from that time you can share with us? Uh, you know... Well, when I, I did a record for Coolio back in the day, and, um, you know, I was only like 18 or 19. I drove to L.A., and, um, you know, when I went down there, you know, I was rocking with them in the studios and stuff, you know, rolling around. But back then, you know, it wasn't big money stuff, so I was, like, in the hood down there. And they had, like, basically had an apartment where they had all the um, different acts outside of Coolio. You know, it was, he had his own crew of people that... Um, 40 Thieves, so we had different groups that were over there, and I would be in there making beats in the living room. So this one day, Coolio was like, yo, I need to get my beat for the album, blah, 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 I want you to do this. And, and keep in mind, I, I gotta bring this real quick. Because I had the sampler, when Coolio's brother came to the Bay, he ran into some people and they were like, yo, you gotta hear this dude's beats, he got a sample, his sample is sick, da, da, da. So, you know, having that sampler just kind of made people gravitate. So anyways, Coolio's brother had came to my uh, room at my house, it was like, let me play me some beats. I played him some beats, boom. So fast forward a year later, I'm down there with Coolio and them inside this little apartment thing in Long Beach, making the beats right there. And I'm being all creative. 
and Coolio's like, yo, at one point, you know, I made like three or four beats. I was turning them off, you know, because back then, you know, you just turn shit off some floppy disk, you didn't like it. So um, after a while, this dude was like, yo, man, the next beat you make, I'm using that beat, bro. We have been in there for a long time, you know, all, you know, smoking it all day. He's like, I'm using the next beat, man. And, you know, the next beat was the beat that he ended up uh, using for the album. That's that's so dope. And it's one of those things I know um, being from San Jose, being from the South Bay was just so amazing to hear. They're like this. This dude from Alpitas has a, a song on Coolio's album. Did, did that did that experience kind of was that a kickstart for you to, to do more production work in the industry? Uh, you know, I didn't look at it like that. My perspective was a little different at the time. So it was like. I didn't even look at it like I was going to be selling beats necessarily or becoming a producer like that. I actually, when I was done with the Coolio thing, I came back to the South Bay and uh, started doing the, finishing up everything I had going on with um, Homeless Derelicts and Peanut Butter Wolf and stuff. So, you know, I didn't really use that as a catalyst. You know what I mean? Just because, I, you know, I just didn't. You know? In fact, I talk about it more now I never even talked about it back then. I never did an interview about it. Nothing, man. It's more now it seems to be, you know, in the last, like, you know, eight years, it's become something that really affects what I'm doing. But outside of that, at the time, I mean, people didn't even know I did it. Mm. But, then, you know, no internet, you know what I mean. And right, right. <laughs> it's a different time. Yeah. You know. Um, yo, man, well, since, since we got your ear, I, I want to bring something up that, that was a little bit controversial a few years ago, and that is regarding the Nas sample as well as the Nas artwork. I'm not sure if you're comfortable talking about this, but I just kind of wanted to get your perspective, man. Um, did you feel like it was a situation where things were kind of stolen or bitten? Uh, you know, so that was a... That was a um... Now, I would say that was something in modern, in this modern era of what I'm doing that really, like, put me on a certain type of path, mm. you know? Mm. Um, when we did the record, I was doing a record with Noah the Flood, right? Mm -hmm. This is interesting. I'm, like, about to go out, uh, go on tour, and he hits me. He's like, yo, this is the cover. Should I put it out? What do you want to do? And I'm like, man, I'm about to leave, bro. I'm about, I was literally about to go DJ for Souls of Mischief in Europe for, like, you know, 60 days or something, so... I was like, whatever. And so, boom, he puts the cover out. Boom, boom, boom. And then I'm in uh, Switzerland at this point, and people are just blowing me up on, on Instagram. So I'm like, yo, yo, you see this? You see this? I actually didn't really realize what was going on. And then I went mm -hmm. and looked, you know, got on the internet. I looked at it. At first, I thought it was just about the cover. You right. know what I mean? I was like, well, I guess we got the same cover. I get it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, that's strange. But then it was like this beat was on there, too. Right. So I basically showed that shit on Instagram and you know the internet kind of made their own decision I didn't even say anybody stole anything because see I know what it's really about it's like they could have I mean I guess if that's what the people want to believe but the reality is is that we didn't take that picture right that picture was up on the internet right I definitely didn't play the sample like I didn't that wasn't my band the records are available so you know what I'm trying to say so the stuff is available mm. so you know I you know Lightning don't usually strike in the same place <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but, twice? Twice? Though? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, hey. Yeah. So, uh, with that said, I'd, I'd rather say that great minds think alike. 
Okay. And shit happens rather than yeah. try to like throw Kanye West and Nas under the bus. I mean, I, I, you know, I did a whole remix record with Nas's lyrics. So shit, if he, you know, maybe we're even yeah <laughs> well thanks for putting that issue to bed because i know it was a bit controversial and um you know i'm sure people are glad to hear from you about it definitely yeah definitely. i'd like to go back um a little bit to another thing where and I, I hope you don't mind if we keep coming back to this there's just like very few kind of san jose or south bay things that we we can get excited about but when in the late 90s, you guys were doing the Executive Lounge record. That was like a big collection of San Jose talent. Um, can you talk a little bit about that record and how that came together? And if, you, if you've you know, thought about that at all recently, or was it just kind of a blip on the radar? Just kind of just tell us what that was all about, please. Um, well, we did the record with 75 Arc. We did Encore's record. And, you know, it got a good response. And all the people on the record I known for, you know, years. It was like, you know, nobody on the record is like, I still talk to these people all the time, you know what I'm saying? So these were like friends, you know. And, um, you know, the label was like, yo, why don't you do something, you know, and produce it all? And I was like, all right. And you, why not just go to my folks, you know what I mean? The people I had already been working with, you know, Persevere, you know, I've worked with him for years prior to even that. Um, obviously, Homeless Derelicts, Encore, Dave Dub. You know, uh, Pablo's on the record. Um, my man Holocaust, who, you know, who he's actually changed his name to Birdland. So when you see me doing things with Birdland, that's the same dude. Um, and, you know, I'm working with these guys. You know, I'm working with these guys now. So that was really just family, man. That was just family, man. That's so dope. And, and it was such a, a dope moment in time, um, again, as a, as a San Jose person, a San Jose artist to see. Um, these cats doing that. You mentioned um, Encore's record, so I wanted to uh, get a little into that. I know you guys kind of, kind of go back a bit. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how that record came together and kind of what the response was after you guys put it out? His his first album, which the name is escaping me. I'm sorry. Um, uh, self preservation. Self preservation. Right. Yup. You know that was that. You know, once again, Encore's a dude. You know. Our parents know each other, you know what I mean? I've known him for a long time. So, you know, one day he was at the crib rapping, and I was like, damn, bro, you tight, bro. Like, this is sick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, damn, you need to be rapping, dude. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, boom, we, you know, he was, he, you know, and I was actually linking with Grant at that same time. So, you know, but from there, he got on songs with Grant. We did some songs, and um, we used to record at Dan the Automator studio. Mm. so uh that's where all those recordings were done at so um basically i was over at dan's studio and i played we were doing um we were mixing homeless derelict stuff but i played him encore's demos and dan was like yo this is crazy man like we need to put this out and he's like you know i'm gonna have my label stuff set up here in a minute and uh he signed us to bulk records which is his label and uh, then uh, later on, it became uh, 75 Arc, but it started out as bulk records. That's where also Cool Keith. We were watching Cool Keith and him do some of their stuff when they was doing um, uh, with Blue Flowers and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, the Dr. Octagon. All of that was kind of happening around the same time. So long story short, man, once Dan signed us, boom, we was recording, man. You know, we, you know, and then Dan linked it up to where I was able to get some equipment of my own and start to record in, in my own facility. You know what I mean? So we recorded that album at our own facility and 
with our own studio and there it is. Dope, man. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, you know, uh, we're gonna, I just wanna jump around a little bit and forgive me, but you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Peanut Butter Wolf and uh, he's obviously a very important figure, not, to, not just to like the South Bay, but just music in general. Um, I, I, I just wanted to see if, um, if you could share with us a little bit of your guys' history, when you guys met, you know, just when you guys intersected and, and what that relationship is like. Well, um, I knew Chris for a minute, like as Chris Cut. I didn't know him personally, but he used to work with this guy, Quiz One, in San Jose. And uh, he was his DJ at the time, and I used to hear his name all the time. And like I said, I'm from Milpitas, so uh, Charisma, from Charisma and Peanut Butter Wolf, he was always rapping. And uh, I can't exactly remember. Uh, I, I know I was introduced to Peanut Butter through Charisma, but me and Peanut Butter became really cool because once again, we ended up on the same management through Matt Brown. Mm -hmm. And um, so we would be at Matt Brown's hanging out, everybody chopping it up, kicking it. We'd all have to be in contact. We're all, you know, not label mates, but, you know, management mates. So, um, yeah, man, that's how I met him. Okay. Word. Um, I think uh, we always try to ask the producers that we have on the show. We kind of like want to give a shout out to our aspiring producers out there and our gear nerds out there. Would you mind telling us what your setup is these days? What kind of DAW, what kind of machines, what kind of um, like kind of, what's your setup? How are, how are you making your music these days? If you don't mind. Okay. Um, well, as far as when I'm producing, I have a few different things I use. I try to use, like usually I'm producing full records. So I try to use different machines to get, you know, different textures and sounds, you know what I'm saying? So I have an MPC 4000. I got a MV 8800. I make beats on those. I use the machine from Native Instruments. That's probably one of my main go-tos. And then I have these PO33s, um, small. They look like calculators, but they're from uh, Teenage Engineering. They 8-bit samplers that I kind of link together. Um, and I use like a Volca sample. Just That's just when I want to get like on some real, you know, crazy stuff you know what i mean and just like give myself limitations and just try to go crazy with it but um and then my daw is basically um it's basically a clone they cloned a 32c a harrison 32c mixing board it's like a you know a clone of it and then i just basically uh run everything into there once i make my beats i you know i separate all the sounds i dump them into the uh 32C pro Harrison 32C program and the mix and it is basically cloned off the mixing board. They did Michael Jackson's thriller with. Mm. So, you know, I'm an analog dude. So, you know what I mean? I need to get certain types of sounds. And then with that, you know, I have a controller uh, that controls the mixing board. It's, it looks like a mixing board and controls the mixing board and, you know, a couple of little analog tricks I do and stuff, but that's basically what it is. That's dope, man. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about what you're what you're doing these days? You talked a lot about your history. Kind of, can you want to bring us up to date on on the production stuff you've been doing? Definitely, definitely. Um, well, I just did four albums this year with A Plus from Souls of Mischief. Um, we had an album called Free Dope, Chamber Games, Black Switzerland, and then we did a Christmas album called Cold. Uh, what's it called? Hold on, let me see. I forgot what that one's called. <laughs> called Cold Country. Mm. You know what I mean? So those, you know, 
and that was just basically like, yo, let's go crazy, man. Like, you know, we have the studio and stuff set up. Let's just record. And it's dope to record A+. Plus when you, you know, when you can record with somebody who can move at your pace. You know what I'm saying? So, like, mm. you know, so that's really, and me and him, we're about to probably do, you know, plenty more records. I just dropped this uh, joint on this side with uh, Supreme Cerebral. And, yo, that joint's crazy. It's on um, YouTube and everything. The video just came out. So people are really getting into that. And, uh, you know, I just did a record with the guy, Fahim. I did a full album with him. Oh, wow. And okay. got, yeah, it's got Mark Hami on it. You know what I mean? And that um, that joint is... Damn, what's the name of that album with God Fahim? Dollars and Cents is the name of that album. And uh, my man, Kay Burns, obviously, you know, with the flood. I mean, I'm just saying the artist now, because, like, you know what I mean? I, I yeah. mean, they're all safe. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah. you know... Um, Planet Asia, like I said, me and him working on some stuff. Uh, oh, I got a record coming out with Tajay from Souls of Mischief. And that record's crazy. We just did a single. It's got Cool G Rap on it. Oh, uh, wow. And the rest, okay. of, yeah, the rest of the album is just nuts. So, you know, I just, I'm trying to keep busy, man. You know, just, just keep, you know, keep rocking, man. That's what I'm trying to do. Man, well, we, uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on and just sharing a lot about your history and all the the dope stuff that you've got going uh coming forward are you still uh based in the bay area yeah yeah uh my studio's in oakland so you know i'm right there in uh in oakland we're all you know where the magic is made <laughs> okay i i heard that man well hopefully maybe in a, in a in a time when we can see people in person love to uh meet you chop it up with you but we just want to thank you for coming on the program man and, and sharing everything about your storied history and what you got going. Just thank you so much. Man, thank you guys, man. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Dad Bod Rap Pod episode 156. That was our somewhat short conversation with Architect. We appreciate him coming on, talking about his history and kind of what he's working on now. Um, and, you know, holding it down for Melpitas. Uh, super inside joke, Melpitas, there's a dump in Melpitas. Um, it's so part of the city just like reeks of garbage. It's much like Tacoma in that way. But nobody I've ever met from Melpitas will ever own being from that part. They'll be like, I'm from the other part. I was so close to asking him, but I'm like, let me not. Let me not alienate our guests with wildly specific local uh, questions. And speaking of questions, one question I did bring to the timeline uh, this week on our, what is becoming a recurring bit here on Dead Bod Rap Pod, uh, question of the week was inspired by uh, this weekend, uh, we, we celebrated the uh, 15 year anniversary of Donuts coming out on what would have been uh, Jay Dilla's 47th birthday. Um, obviously a, a lot of praise going around um, and, and remembrance and celebration. Um, and I posed a question to the timeline, which I, I was interested to see what folks thought about this. Is 
Jay Dilla, the greatest producer of all time. Now, I will offer the caveat. We typically stray from questions that are that grandiose or some might say reductive because I, I think oftentimes hip hop Twitter spends too much time in the greatest of all time debate. But I did think it was relevant and I do know that there's a, a wide variance of opinion on this. So before we go to the timeline, um, I wanted to pose this to y'all, um, my esteemed dad bod colleagues, a subject that we've touched on before, but I just wanted to uh, kind of bring it in here as we, as we look at getting some of the listener feedback. Uh, Nate LeBlanc, you have been on record um, as, you know, like you appreciate Jay Dilla, we know it, but you're not the biggest fan as, as some. So how does, how does this question of, is he the GOAT sit with you? Yes, no, why? Uh, not to me, um, but it was a really good question for sparking um, more than like, you know, you get people who reply yes or whatever, but then there were people who like really broke it down and I like super appreciated mm -hmm. that. And I, I do think he's so innovative and meant so much to so many people. And it's like, is he the most influential producer of all time? Perhaps. Um, because the things he did from a technical standpoint and that, that kind of squishy thing that I think Dan Charnis is writing a book about, like the, his, his sense of time is so unique and he brought something so new to the table. It's so interesting. Um, I, I don't know enough about music theory to really understand what he's doing there, but everyone always talks about it. But, you know, not to me. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, from a different era. Um, I, the, the other interesting question that you asked was the over under on <laughs> listening to Donuts 500 times. Yeah. I'm like, uh, how is there like a symbol for way under? Like, you know, like <laughs> 10 times when it came out and then once a year since, I think puts me at 25 times. Like, you guys listen to yeah. records 500 times? I know you're exaggerating and kidding. And I've listened to probably every Beatle album 500 times and most Neil Young albums and some of my personal favorite kind of stuff. Many, 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 many times. Midnight Marauders, you know, like many, 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 many times. But I, yeah, I just, like you said, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest Dilla guy. I, I respect him. I like his music. Um, and I think his legacy is really interesting. He also has kind of an annoying fan base it was a kind of a turn off for me when I was still working in the record store um when he was when the first wave of posthumous releases were coming out and seeing who was buying them and who who who, who was all of a sudden so interested in this yeah. person kind of kind of turned me off but I'm, I'm I was just a dick back then so who cares let people <laughs> like what they like but long answer to say no not really not to me uh David Ma is Dilla the goat yes no why um, you know, I mean, I hate to just agree with Nate all the time, but do you um, though? For me, do you hate it? <laughs> um, on a personal tip, I would say no, but I think if there was a Mount Rushmore, I mean, it's certainly well well deserved. And um, saying that Dilla is your favorite producer, I think, is an certainly an acceptable answer. Um, you know, he's not mine um, just because. I mean, if I'm just talking about pure amounts of songs that I like, I love Donuts. I love all the all the other stuff he's done as well. All the Lucy's. Um, I wasn't super into the the influx of posthumous releases, um, but I mean, his influence looms perhaps the largest. Um, so for that, I mean, I think it, an argument can be made. But on a personal tip, like Prince Paul's my favorite dude. You know, like RZA is my favorite dude. You know, so. 
um, that's that's no diss to Dilla at all and his legacy. I think um, it's certainly warranted for him to be considered a goat, um, but just not on a personal tip. I just simply like uh, more songs by other people more. You know. Okay. Um, okay. What about what about you, Jamal? Um, as the uh, representative here from the Dilla Booster Club, uh, <laughs> I am I am here to say that. It, James Yancey, Jay Dilla is the greatest hip hop producer of all time. But um, I want to couch this and it was a super interesting conversation and we'll get to the tweets in just a moment. Um, I wanted to couch this in any greatest debate. I think you have to go into it um, being clear about criteria, which my question did, was not clear because that makes for better conversation. Uh, but it, it's all about criteria. And so um, I do think that the argument for Dilla as the greatest producer of all time um, mm-hmm. is sometimes mischaracterized. So I saw a little bit of banter on the timeline about, well, Dilla had hits, but if it was about hits that made him great, then he's not, he's not on the par of a Dr. Dre um, or any of right. the, the great kind of Pharrell, great hit making producers in that sense. Like he was not um, the greatest in that sense. He was also not the greatest in terms of producing memorable rap songs that you like. It's like Premier and RZA have him lapped in that sense. So if you're making, if you wanna make the argument for him as the greatest producer of all time, I believe that it is this. When it comes to the technical sophistication, um, influence, and the high watermark of sampling and live instrumentation, um, nobody's done it better than Jay Dilla. His influence continues to shine, um, even though his career was tragically cut short. Um, and I do believe that you also have to see beats as not merely the vehicle for people to rap on. If your primary investment in, in beats is these are things for people to rap on, then Jay Dilla is definitely not the, the GOAT. Um, but if, if you're approaching it from the angle of, I hate this word because I'm, I'm not a musician and I feel like I'm misusing it, but I do think it's apt here. If you're coming from the musicality of, of hip hop beats, um, I know way too many musicians that were like, this, this is the, the high, the, the best thing I've ever heard. Um, in terms of, especially with when it comes to drumming, rhythmic timing, things of that nature. Um, so that that's my take. But I know that uh, that there is a, a great variance of opinion, which is why I fiendishly rubbed my hands together before I tweeted this. So let's take it to the timeline. Um, once again, we appreciate everybody chiming in at Dad Bod Rap Pod. Um, I will do my best to get one of these out every week. Uh, we will begin with. Lamb Money, that's L-A-M-B, Lamb Money, Lambo Calrissian, of course, uh, on Twitter. I hate goat talk. Stats come in, and everybody's stats hold different weight. Is he my favorite? Absolutely. He could do so many different types of beats and had, and has had many different stages of his career where he re- reinvented himself. So shout out to Lambo. Uh, DJ Mentos, uh, DJMentos.com on Twitter. Premier is the GOAT and Dilla would agree. I, I do think this goes back to if we are judging the GOAT by the person who produced the most rap songs that you like. And they're, they would very hard to unseat Premier um, in that thing. Uh, Sun Ra, who's just going to be in, uh, a weekly occurrence on here, Cannibal Oxtail. 
He's fully in the conversation, but there's no single number ones in terms of artistry, beat making. Uh, commercially, it's Dre, the Neptunes. Um, Sean Cantrowitz, Cantrowitz, which I can pronounce. Uh, Sean Dammit on, uh, on Twitter. Shout out to uh, Can't Knock the Shuffle as well. He's a, a fellow label mate on Stony Island with us. Check out his program. He says, yes, innovation, technical skill, versatility, influence. There's only... The only reason this isn't a universal fact is that he doesn't have the hits that some of his contemporaries have, but that has little to do with actually being great. And it's, it's again, it's just an interesting debate. Um, I go back to Micah Nine. Is there a better rapper than Micah Nine? I don't think so. Are there rappers with a better catalog than Micah Nine? Absolutely. So it just depends on what you're evaluating. Uh, we'll get one more in here. Um, Let's go to Alaska, because why not go to Alaska? Uh, oh. Alaska underscore Adams at, uh, on Twitter, uh, friend of the program. No, because RZA, Primo, Dre, Pete Rock, Prince Paul, Large Pro, uh, Dre again. Is this another Dre? Maybe we have <laughs> Cool and Dre. The Bomb Squad, DJ Pooh, Quick, all exist. Um, I like Alaska's takes. He has a particular hierarchy of meaning that I don't agree with, but I always find entertaining. So that was question of the week. Uh, check us out at that rap pod on Twitter. We'll be posting more questions, more comments, more, more debate. I would encourage you actually to look through this thread. I don't have like time to go through all of the responses there. There is some great responses and back forth in that section. And I actually learned some things uh, through viewing that thread. So please check that out. Um, it's, you know, it's this expansive dad bod rap pod universe, which now includes our conversations on the stereo app. So every week uh, for the next nine ish weeks, we will be having a conversation on a new app called stereo, which allows you to listen in on conversations, um, join us in audio messages to conversations. I kind of think of it as like a live uh, podcast taping, which you can chime in on, uh, which is one of the coolest aspects of the app. So I uh, encourage you to go to the Google Play Store or go to the Apple Store, download the app, and you can check for us 7.30 PST on Mondays. Um, some combination of Nate, Dave, and myself will be showing up there, talking a little bit about the episode that we just recorded because we record on Monday night. So if you want to get, you know, kind of a pregame into what the Thursday episode is going to uh, sound like, you can, you can check for us there. There is uh, a function, like I said, for you to talk back to us a little bit. So something that we're trying out uh, just to prove that just because we are middle-aged men, we can still do new apps. Uh, and we encourage you to ride with us on this journey. So download the stereo app, Check for the Dad Bod Rap Pod uh, unauthorized show every Monday um, for the next nine weeks, 7.30 p.m. PST. If you are a visual learner and you can't do the audio thing, you can always uh, check for us at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Instagram. We do a new episode every Thursday, interviews and banter with some of the most influential voices in the culture. We are the dad by the rap part. When the weekend starts, soul sunny get goes. I had the instinct to jam classy hoes. So I went to East Ridge and hung on the rails. I spent about 10 minutes watching girlies' tales. I saw this brick who looked real cute. A security guard to sport the blue suit. Had the whole unit ready, walking.
out, so they never come back. I put them off and went about my way to get money.